Hey guys, welcome to the Ancient Plan podcast. We're doing another episode in season one here. Uh, this is episode fourteen, I believe, of season one. And what we're doing in season one is we're we're just kind of studying the biblical storyline from Genesis to Revelation, and just looking, following the plot line as it develops um, to the one grand story that Scripture is telling. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew three. I was studying it uh, just. Today, I was studying it the uh, Sunday morning, actually, in my time with the Lord, and my heart was just burning. So I'm excited to talk about this. How are you doing, Ray? Doing pretty good, man. Excited to talk about Matthew 3 and link it to Luke chapter 3. So there you go. Get her done. Absolutely. <laughs> so good. I'm fresh, man. I just got back. We, my family went on vacation last week, and um, I, we had the best time. We were in a, a cabin in the mountains in Wyoming, and we saw a, a black bear. We oh, saw man. like deer, tons of elk, moose, a bunch of moose. My my son even saw a mountain lion. Um, oh man, just crazy stuff. We saw so many wildlife. Caught like probably forty trout between us. I mean, it was just oh, blessed, wow. man. Yeah, there was wow. no cell service at all, no TV. So it was just like us with God in the mountains, connecting with the Lord, connecting with each other. Yeah. It, it's like the best way to spend a vacation. Praise the Lord. Yeah. yeah, that's that's funny because we went to Yellowstone three weeks ago or maybe four or five weeks ago now, just before all of the the flooding that happened there. We got we went through just before the flooding and we saw all those same things, except I didn't catch 40 trout because I never fished. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Um, yeah, I was just refreshed, honestly. Uh, I was awesome. like, um, just just we did we did the fishing. We went on hikes and I just spent time with the Lord each mm. day. And just like the quiet was really, really refreshing and just connecting with the Lord. So praise yeah, the Lord. really That's grateful awesome. for that time. Yeah. So we'll jump in uh, to Matthew chapter three. And, you know, as, as I always like to do, we're going to look at the four parts of the, the one grand story that scripture is telling from Genesis to revelation. And the first part of the biblical storyline is creation in Genesis one and two. And um, it's where God creates the heavens and the earth and the people and everything in it. And everything's perfect. It's glorious. And there's there's no suffering, no problems whatsoever. And the next major plot twist is Genesis chapter three, where that's called the fall. It's where people decide to disobey God. And when they do, they, they bring themselves and all of natural creation uh, mm. under a curse and um then begins the next major part of the plot, which takes up the majority of the biblical story, and that is the redemption story. And that really, we see it introduced in Genesis 3 and continues to develop um, progressively throughout the whole Bible until it comes to its conclusion in Revelation 22. And then the final part of the biblical story is the, the grand conclusion at the end, Revelation 21, 22. It's the final restoration of all things where there's no more sin, no more suffering, no more curse anywhere in the earth. And um, Jesus is reigning on the earth from the city of Jerusalem and all nations are blessed, joyfully serving under his leadership. So um, yeah, that's, it's a simple summary of the biblical story. And we're going to go ahead and get into Matthew chapter three. It says in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, 
He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptized, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. I love that sentence right Mm, there. Yeah. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are Abraham's descendants. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water, those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Hmm. So much I love in this passage of scripture. Uh, let's just, I, I want to start off just by kind of focusing in on the first six verses. Okay. Um, what's, what are some of the things right here in those first six verses that, that are jumping out to you, Ray? Uh, I think when John the Baptist is quoting uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, it says the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, it says, prepare the way of the Lord uh, and make paths straight. And then um, in, uh, in Luke chapter three, it says a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So there's an exhortation here, I think, from John to just to get your heart right. Um, the valleys of your heart, you know, the, the, your, your, your weaknesses, um, your failure, your def- the things that defeat you, is that the Lord is going to raise those places in your heart up. And then the mountains in your heart, your pride, your arrogance, it's going to be brought low, and he's going to make us into kingdom kingdom people, according to the Sermon on the Mount. And so really you see here too, with this exhortation to the kingdom, like repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In this particular instance, the kingdom of heaven is, is near, though it is good news, it comes with a negative connotation, not a positive one. That, that this means judgment is coming. 
And and so and that and the whole the whole chapter is actually wrapped around the idea of there is going to be a separation and you need to respond correctly. And that's why the people respond the way they do. Uh, you see it in Luke 3. They say, what must we do then to be saved? Because mm. the kingdom of heaven is near isn't like, hey, there's a party coming and you guys should get your party hats on and get really excited. It's the kingdom of heaven is near. It's time for you to respond correctly. And they understand they have to respond correctly. And that's why they ask the question, what do we do to be saved? Wow. Yeah. I, I, again, you know, you were talking about you, how Matthew quotes Isaiah and how Isaiah prophesied that before Messiah comes, that there would be a prophet that mm. would prepare the way for the Messiah through yeah. his message, that he would prepare the people for Messiah's arrival to mm. be able to recognize him and receive him and respond appropriately to him when yes. he shows up and you know, it just makes me think of the point we've kind of emphasized, I think, in every episode, but I've, I will always emphasize this, that the again, the this is a continuation of the redemption plan that God's been building for thousands of years by this point in history. When John the Baptist shows up, God had already made the covenant with Abraham and, you know, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then all the prophets um, had been prophesying about Messiah. And we've looked at a little bit of what they prophesied about Messiah, but this is one of the things. And so John is coming into a, uh, the groundwork has been laid for John as yeah. well as the arrival of Messiah. And um, so I, 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 anyway, I just, I love to emphasize that, that this is again, the continuation of a redemption plan that started um, back in the old, the old Testament. Yeah. It doesn't have a, a the flavor of it isn't much different than what we had already been going through in the first 13 episodes with the, with the Tanakh and as far as the apocalyptic nature of it and the response of the people being one of repentance um, to the good news, but understanding what the implications are right of the, of the kingdom, that it's not just simply that there's going to be a new kingdom established, but there's actually going to be judgment involved or the wrath of God is going to be poured out before this kingdom is established. And so the response, this actually motivates the response. When this part, when this part of the gospel is removed and we just like, hey, you just need to respond to Jesus because he just loves you so much and he's kind and he's merciful and he just, he just wants to graft you in. Like that, those things, those things are all true. Um, and I have no problem proclaiming those things, but they're only one side of the coin. Part of what actually helps motivate us to respond correctly is the urgency of the message of the kingdom, which is he is coming and it's going to be with conflict. And we want to be on the right side of the conflict. So good. Yeah. And I, I love what you, I want to actually focus in in just a little bit here on the message of John the Baptist. And okay. um, so, because I, I think it's important to kind of look at it and understand uh it, but but before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about the man uh, before we talk about the message, uh, the man, John the Baptist. And, uh, you know, I, I just because I think there's things that we can learn um, from his life. And, and here's where I'm thinking. I, I just kind of let the end of where my mind jumps to. Mm -hmm. I'll just say it now. I think in the same way, and I think the scriptures actually say this, too. In the same way that God raised up a prophet, John the Baptist, who prepared the people for the Messiah's arrival at his first coming. Mm 
I believe that the spirit of God is going to, that rested even the anointing for that, that was on John the Baptist is going to rest on a huge company of believers yeah. at the end of the age who will prepare the earth for Messiah's second coming. That's so and, good. and I think it's important to look at his lifestyle because there's Jesus said of him, and this is in Matthew 11, I believe it is, but Jesus is among those who are born of women. There's none greater than mm. John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus gave this guy the ultimate commendation. Yeah. And um, that this was a sincere man of God who did well. And he, he saw himself as a friend of the bridegroom. Those are John the Baptist's own words in another passage. He says, I, this is my identity. I'm not the main show. He said the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Cause I think of a time when, uh, you know, the, 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 here the crowds are flocking to him yeah. and, and he's the man and the anointing of the spirit is on him. He is the prophet of the hour. He is probably, he is, I would say this about John the Baptist at, at this season in his life right here. Um, he is the most important thing God is doing on the entire earth in his, mm. in his day. Amen. Wow. I mean, he is prophesying. He is the prophet. He's the prophet. He's yeah. Announcing the Messiah. He was the most important ministry of the spirit was mm. happening through him. And, but yet when later on Messiah shows up and then the crowds leave him and they start following Jesus. And then people come to John. They're like, dude, you got to do something like the crowds are leaving you to follow Jesus. And this is what he says, the humility. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. I mean, that yeah. is such a powerful statement. Yeah. He says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I just rejoice mm. to hear the bridegroom's voice. Mm. He says, let me tell you, I know who I am and I know what my assignment is. But, you know, it, I'm not here. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And I think a friend of what is a friend of the bridegroom? It's the one who um, I actually asked the Lord this one time. I, I was praying on this. And uh, the friend of the bridegroom is is they help prepare the bride to be equally yoked with the bridegroom. It's good. In passion, purity, and in power. Yeah. And I think what, and John the Baptist understood that his role wasn't to get, get the bride fascinated with himself. That's it so was, good. It was to point her to Jesus and get her ready to be equally yoked with him when he showed up. And he's like, actually, you know what my joy is? I, when I hear his voice, mm -hmm. when I, I'm a friend of the bride, I serve the bridegroom and help get his bride ready for him. And um, it's not about me. And then he's like, my joy. I get to hear his voice. I heard the Messiah has come and he's got this joy in his heart. And yeah, he lived a fasted lifestyle. I I'll let you say a few things about John the Baptist um, before no, I, I could go on more. But no, it's really powerful. I mean, and when you think about it, too, it's like the Lord wants to raise up people that are sold out on making disciples and then not getting credit for it. Amen. Right. Like, like we just pour into people and I don't, I don't need a, I don't need a stage. I don't, I don't, I don't need a, a huge social media gathering or, or following. And the temptation is all there to like, and the Lord is like, really like put the brakes on my life. I, I feel like many times where he's like, don't ever advertise yourself. Don't ever advertise yourself as like a speaker or a teacher. Don't ask for opportunities. He's like, I'll open up your doors for you. Um, and when I do, I'm drawing people to myself. I'm not drawing them to you. And so I've felt that over my own life, that, that conviction. And then there's always that temptation to be like, well, I could, could go tell people like, I'll come to your church and, and teach and, and preach because I love to do that. 
Um, and then, and there's always that side too of my, my own pride. That's like, that's, that's where I'll find my, my self worth. And the Lord's like, I, I actually don't want you to find your value and your worth there. And, and I think the, the Lord's raising up a generation of people that are willing to sell their lives out for Jesus. Nobody's going to know them. They're going to be sitting in the back rows uh, of churches, but they got a power anointing uh, on their life through signs and wonders and power on their lips to speak because they're living righteously before God in the secret place, just like John the Baptist did. And and Come and on. when it comes time for people to be drawn to Jesus, they're not drawing them to their Facebook social media page and saying like, follow me. How many followers can I get? Can I get 30,000? Can I get 50,000? Can I get 100,000? Who cares? Who cares if they are not sold out to loving and laying down their life for Jesus and being obedient to him at every level that and every capacity that they know how, because that's what a disciple is. And so, and if those disciples are not making disciples, then they themselves are not disciples. And so we have a lot of work to do, but we've got to get out of the way in order to do it. Um, and that's, that's what John the Baptist was so awesome at is I must decrease so he can increase. It's like, we can build ministries and they could be awesome and draw people and have the presentation. But there comes a time where I feel like the father or, or Jesus or the Holy spirit is going to say, will you self-destruct that ministry? So people see me instead of you. And so I, I just live with a, a constant like TNT box in my inner man. That's like, <laughs> you just, you just say, you know what? It looks awesome because people are saying it's awesome and people are drawn to it and they're telling you what you should do. And they're saying it's got momentum and it's exciting. And the Lord's like, blow it up, blow it up. Not even because it's bad, but because I want people to see my son. Right. And so that's John the Baptist. And so we've got to, we've got to take that. And that doesn't mean I, I might, I might end up with 30,000 people on my social media, but it's not my purpose. It's not, it's not what's driving me. And so I yeah. see this challenge from, from John the Baptist too in Luke chapter three, when, um, when they say, you know, what, what, what do we do? How do, how do we enter into the kingdom? And he says, uh, don't exhort money. He says from anyone by threats or false accusation and to be content with your wages. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like all three of his answers are economic. Like don't tie your heart to this world. Because this world's going to yes. try and draw you in and you're going to try and get your value from big followings, lots of money, or just money in general. He's like, I don't want the message to be tied to any of that. I want the message to be purely tied to I'm drawing, uh, the, the son is drawing people to the father and the father is drawing people to the son through the Holy Spirit. So that's what I see John the Baptist doing. He's totally sold out. And I just asked the Lord, I'm like, Lord, help me, help me to be that way that I'm sold out and I'm not in it for me in any part of my life. And I know that I am, but I want to repent of it. And I want, I want it, I want the Lord to work it out of me. Yeah. And th this is, again, I, you know, this is important. We want to study the man because his life was commended by Jesus. Yeah. Um, like in a significant way. And again, um, I want to be part of the company of people at the end of the age who is preparing the earth for the Messiah's second coming. Yeah. And I, I want to, and so I want to study his life. Like, what did he do right um, that helped get him ready to function in that role as a prophetic messenger who prepared people for the arrival of Messiah? And then I want to study his message because I believe, and we're going to look at that now, but his message, um, I just want to say one more thing about his lifestyle. 
and then we'll get into the message. (laughs) Because the message, really, our message is going to be the same message um, that he was proclaiming. Um, And but one thing about the lifestyle that I that I admire about John is he lived a fasted lifestyle, and it was a lifestyle of an intentionally living with restraint in natural arenas. Yeah. Um, so good. In, so that he could be positioned to fulfill his assignment. And I think of, you know, when he was, before he was conceived in his mother's womb, the angel, the angel is announcing to his father, yeah, you and your wife are going to have a baby. He's going to be a one who will prepare the way for the Lord that Isaiah talked about. And then, you know, he says a bunch of awesome things about his life and his assignment. But then he, one of the things he says is he is to be a Nazarite from birth. He should never, mm. it's a level of consecration to the Lord. That's unusual. And he said, he's never to drink wine and, and, mm. you know, Nazarites, they, they wouldn't drink wine, which was, you know, it's, it's not about drunkenness. It was like, right. um, I, I think it's, I heard Ling, Lou Engle say it has an awesome book on Nazarite DNA. It's a tiny little booklet. I highly recommend it. It has set your heart okay. on fire. Um, but he talks about how it, it was like the the pop, think soda pop uh, of our day. You know, it was that that refreshing drink when you just wanted to relax, you know, something good. And then they couldn't eat raisins even. Wow. Um, it's okay. just j- dried grapes. But yeah. a, a Nazarite, but again, that's like the candy of our day. You know what I mean? Right. That would be equivalent to like the candy in our day. But he tells us, the angel says it to his parents, imagine what it was like for, for his parents and for John the Baptist, you know, when little Johnny the Baptist is four Mm -hmm. and he's going to the birthday party at his neighbor's house and they're all drinking, they're not drinking. They're, they're having, they're eating raisins or whatever. And, and his parents are like, no, you can't have any. Wow. Yeah. And you know, little, little Johnny B (laughs) Johnny the Baptist, he's not understanding it four years old, five years old. He's, he's probably upset. I imagine he's crying and his parents are like, I wonder if other parents are even thinking like, gosh, guys, legalistic, like let up. But they're like, they had yeah. the direct word of the Lord from an angel. And they're yeah. like, mm, yeah, we're raising somebody who's not, he's uncommon. He's not ordinary. He has an unusual assignment, which requires unusual consecration. And They did that. But here's the thing that I love about John the Baptist. At some point in time, he realized who he was and he he embraced his own consecration because he gets to be an adult. He can do whatever he wants to do. And I think I compare him to Samson, who had a very similar call. uh, You know, Angel said to his parents, miraculous birth. He's going to be a Nazarite as well all the days of his life. But you know what? Like when he grew up, he threw off those bonds and, and I, I'm not that impressed with Samson, to be honest with you. Usually when I read that story, but John the Baptist, he's like, he owned it. He understood who he was. He understood this, the reason for heightened consecration um, because there was a special assignment that he had. And I feel like I'm going on and on about this. I, I could do episodes on this, honestly, because I believe there's something to that. When we look at his life, God's going to raise up a whole company of people at the end of the age. And I want to, by the grace of God, I would love to be one of them. But I want to, who are going to voluntarily choose to live 
with restraint in natural pleasures so that they can indulge in the superior pleasures of God mm. um, in a, in a deeper and greater way, which will actually, which will come through in the anointing and the message that they're, they're proclaiming and the effectiveness of their life. And um, anyway, I could go, we could do go on and on about that, but I know we're going to run out of time and I want to get to the message of That's John good. the Baptist as well. So, um, so I'm going to, let's just look at his message. So let's just open it up for the rest of the passage as well. Not only verses one through six, but also verses, um, you know, the rest of the passage, what, what's standing out to you about the, his message? Uh, I would say I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming that is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm on verse, I'm on verse 11 and 12. Uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn uh, with unquenchable fire. So this is like incredibly intense. Um, this is kind of more, I guess, closer to the end of his message. So I'm sorry if I skipped some of the things that you wanted to cover, but I guess you could jump back to that. Yeah, no problem. But, um, but when you, you just think about, for me, I guess the grief in my heart is how lacking in the West we are in, in preaching the gospel, just the way that the apostles and John the Baptist did and how serious it was and how much it made you like think of the weight behind the message and then sobering. how, yeah, sobering and, and that your response is important and it can't just be cavalier and, it, and it's not just a casual thing. Um, and so to know that like Jesus is going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff at the end of the age and, you know, the, the chaff will be burned up with unquenchable fire and the wheat will be stored into his barn. And that's a work of Jesus. Like Jesus is going to do this right? Like the loving Jesus that we know is going to do this. And, and it is loving to, to do it. It's not a contradiction, but it's so sobering when you, when you really think it through and you weigh your life that way, where actually, you know what, I'm going to live until that end. If that's the end that John talks about, if that's the end that Jesus talks about, if that's the end that the apostles talk about, then I'm going to live for that end. I'm going to live. I want to make sure I'm in the wheat and that I'm in the barn, right? And so I live for the day that I stand before him. Um, I don't want to be separated as chaff. So I want to listen carefully to his teaching. I want to obey him in every way in my heart. And I'm not talking about earning my salvation or, you know, right. doing, doing everything perfect like that. But it puts weight behind his words. And what yeah. he says is important. I don't just want to live as a Christian. I want to be a vibrant Christian. And I think to be a vibrant Christian, you have to hear what Jesus says and obey it. Yeah, I just want to I'll just I want to try and do a quick summary of okay, the message that John the Baptist is proclaiming. So he starts off his message was, first of all, his ex number one exhortation is repent. Yeah. Um, how do you prepare people for the arrival of Messiah? Repent. Mm. And it's interesting. I think it's in Luke chapter seven. There's this uh, scripture that talks about how how the tax collectors and the prostitutes who had repented and were baptized by John um, were able to recognize Jesus as the Messiah when he showed up. Mm. And yeah, and then it says in Luke seven, but then, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the ones who should have recognized him, but they did not humble themselves and repent 
and get baptized by John. It says in the NIV, they rejected God's purpose for themselves. That's a direct quote. Oh man. Is that intense? That's really because they rejected the Messiah. They looked at him in the eyes Mm -hmm. and, and worse than rejected him. I mean, they actually murdered him. They they had him murdered. I mean, that's, can you imagine standing at the, before him, the one they murdered at the judgment with his blood on their hands? I mean, yikes, you know, but again, like that is the message. How do you prepare? And I would say that for us, how do we prepare for Messiah's arrival? The second coming of Jesus is repent. It's the same exact thing. And that's the message we proclaim to, I think in two groups of people, number one, the bride of Christ, we need to repent and, and uh, get our hearts ready to receive him at his coming. But we also preach that message to the unreached peoples and to the lost repent, you know, flee from the coming wrath. That's the, the, that's what John the Baptist says here in verse eight. He's like, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Yep. And then he says to these guys, he's like, don't think just because you're Jewish, just because you're a descendant of Abraham, that we're automatically in the kingdom of God. When Messiah arrives and he's ruling from Jerusalem and Davidic kingdom is restored and everything's awesome and Israel's at peace with all her enemies, you know, they're thinking he's like, don't just think just because you're ethnically a descendant of Abraham that you're in. He's like the only ones who are going to be in are those who are repenting and obeying his commandments and loyal and submitted um, to the Messiah. And, and so he's basically just telling them here, like, and I don't know, I think of this and, and you know, the, I, when I read this, honestly, and, and I'm trying to apply this concept in our context, and I think just because you were raised in a Christian family, just because you went to Sunday school and you you know the gospel just because you got baptized some at some point in your life, just because you identify with a church or a church crowd as your friends and you fit in there. That does not guarantee you a place in the kingdom of heaven. We That's have right. to live with this devotion to Jesus, the Messiah, with this yeah. submitted to his word. And um, submitted to his lordship and his leadership. And it's like we have to bear the fruit. And that's what John says. He's like, if he doesn't find fruit on you, he's cutting the tree down. And yeah. um, he's he's looking for fruit, the fruit of repentance, which is righteousness and obedience, etc. Love. And then he and um he he says this in verse 11 and 12. And I want to focus on this and then give you a chance to respond to it, Ray. But um actually I have a question for you, but I'll okay, go yeah, go for it. Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I just see this, you know, the consistency of the message is being repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the same thing that he tells the disciples to preach when he sends them out uh, in Luke 10, Matthew 10, Mark 6. Um, the message is always the same. Repent for the kingdom is near or the kingdom is at hand. And I don't know what, I guess my question to you is like, why, why do we figure out, devise clever ways to preach the gospel without this message? in the West. I think we do that. So I, I just wanted to get your opinion on why you think we do that. Uh, I mean, there, there could be a lot of answers to that question <laughs> that would depend on, on the individual I'm sure uh, and who's doing it. But I just know for us, for me, it causes me, I want to get to the scriptures and I don't want, I don't want to just because I'm preaching a message that's culturally accepted doesn't mean it's accepted by God. Right. And I want to, I want to um, 
I want to calibrate my lifestyle and my message to the biblical message. And am I preaching what, what Jesus preached, what John the Baptist preached, what the apostles preached? Um, Am I teaching that way? Am I making disciples that way? And am I living according to that? Because that's the thing that's going to be standing at the end of the day. And so, um, yeah, I think what you're getting at is a good point. We have to calibrate our message to this. And, and, I see it here and I'm going to get it. He gets it into it in verses 11 and 12. There's kind of two components to this message. First of all, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I've actually heard that taught in a lot of way. Here's honestly in the context of not only the biblical story, but even the passage. I think here's what it means. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's talking about the reign of Messiah upon the earth. And all throughout, we've already looked at several of the, the scriptures that have led up to this, like that have described the reign of Messiah. When he shows up, he judges his enemies. Um, yeah. And and then he he sets up his 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 king, his uh, capital, his throne in the city of Jerusalem. And he rules the nations as the king of Israel. And those who are not submitted to his leadership, they're, they're they suffer the wrath of God. He dispenses it upon them. And those who repented of their sins and were loyal to the Messiah, Jesus, in this age are rewarded by getting to live with him in his glorious kingdom on this earth without any sin or any suffering and forever and ever and ever. And it's awesome. And I think like that's why the message repent. He's saying you should repent. And here's why. And then in verses 11 and 12, he says, here's there's two baptisms of Messiah. I was meditating on it this week. And this is the thing that was just standing out to me. The Messiah, John says, there's two baptisms. He is he has the authority from God to baptize his followers in the Holy Spirit, number one. He also has the authority from God to baptize his enemies in the lake of fire. Mm. I mean, think about that. The lake of fire yeah. is literal. Yeah. It is a literal lake of fire. And all those who do not repent and submit to Jesus as Lord right now, Messiah will baptize them into the (laughs) lake of fire forever and ever. It'll be never ending torment forever and ever. That's a real thing. I mean, that should send chills down our spine. That should make us. That's why he's like, flee from the coming wrath. He's warning them. He's like, and, and, and as I meditated on this, you know, because the baptism of fire is a baptism of judgment in this context, in this passage. Now, in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit was poured out and they saw tongues of fire. You know, that was a good manifestation, right? Th- that was right. in that context. But in this context, it's super clear. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is good. It's wonderful. Yeah. You know, when we repent of our sins and submit to Jesus as Lord, he forgives our sins and he, he baptizes every single one of his followers in the Holy Spirit. So marking us as children of God and enabling us to live for Jesus and to know him and to hear his voice. And then also it's a deposit guaranteeing our citizenship in his kingdom when he returns. So, but, so it's glorious. He has only he has the authority to do that, to baptize yeah. his followers in the Holy Spirit. And that's a promise it, that's going to happen. That happens for all of us who re- just repent. And submit to Jesus as Lord and follow him. But the, but if we don't, every single person who's ever lived will be baptized by Messiah, by Jesus, in one of these two ways. We either repent and be, be baptized by him in the Holy Spirit, 
or we will not repent and he will baptize us in the lake of fire forever. Those are the two options. And so the, the, this is so clear in this passage. And he illustrates, he's like, hey, you can be wheat, which is good. You keep the wheat, right? And, um, or you're the chaff, which is bad. You just, you burn the chaff. It's just wasted. It's, it's, it has no purpose. It's no good. It has no use whatsoever. He's like, the Messiah is, has two baptisms. He's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit, those who repent, and he baptizes with judgment in the lake of fire, those who don't. And then, um, and I, I, I correlated as well. I, I, just as I was meditating on this, um, I think of, <clears throat> I think of the uh, uh, the other sacrament, the Lord's Supper, and I remember, like in Matthew twenty six, you know, it, we're drinking the cup um, uh, at the Lord's Supper, which is Jesus says, "Take and drink this cup. This is my blood uh, for the forgiveness of sins, and that's uh, the blood of the new covenant." And and then later in Revelation, it talks about people who had to drink the cup of God's wrath. And it's a similar way with the Lord's Supper, the other, another sacrament. It's like when we either drink the cup of God's mercy by sub, repenting of our sins, submitting to Jesus as our Lord and, and his blood. He drank the cup of God's wrath for us on the cross. But if we refuse to humble ourselves, submit to his leadership, repent of our sins and drink the cup of mercy, then at the end of the age, we will have to drink the cup of his wrath. And so we're going to drink one of those two cups, you know, mm. and I think in a similar way with this baptism analogy that John the Baptist is talking about, you're going to, you are going to have to deal with Messiah. There is no third option. You're going to be baptized by him in yeah. the spirit, or you're going to be baptized in his wrath and in, in the lake of fire. And we choose, he leaves us the choice if we repent or not has nothing. He's no respecter of persons. It has nothing to do with our ethnicity. It has nothing to do with like our parents or how awesome our church was. Yep. It has everything to do with our own response. Did we repent? Did we submit to Jesus as our Lord? And if we do, we'll receive the baptism of the spirit and then we'll be rewarded by living in his kingdom forever. So good. So before we jump off then, cause I know I think you got to go, right? Mm -hmm. I got to go um, in a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we do a, you want to do a prayer, uh, just yeah. a repentance prayer and, and then maybe a, like a two minute, like this is what you do next. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You want to lead that prayer? Yeah, I'll do that. Lord, I just pray. Hmm. Um, I, I, I just thank you for this message. <clears throat> it's so consistent throughout the scriptures. It's, you, it's, uh, it, 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 the, throughout the, the, the old covenant scriptures in the continuing in the new covenant scriptures, Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the beautiful Messiah who has authority from God to baptize us in the spirit and authority from God to, to, um, to pour out the wrath of God on us that we justly deserve. And God, right now, we just choose to heed John's warning and repent of our sins and I just thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that lives in me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I just worship you, God. And Lord, I just praise you. And I just pray for those who are listening, that you will help them to heed the warning and to submit to Jesus as Lord, receive the beautiful baptism of the Spirit and all the wonderful things that that brings, and to never have to experience the, the baptism of, of fire of judgment 
um, that comes at the end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen. So I would just summarize with this. And um, and I would love, we could do a whole nother episode on this passage, honestly. There's so much more in here we didn't get to. But I would just, this would be my expectation. The, the gospel message, it has promises like the baptism of the spirit that's mentioned here. And we need to preach the promises of the kingdom of God, the baptism, of the spirit, and more and a, a bunch of that comes with it, right? There's so much good news, so many great promises, but the gospel message biblically, it also warns. It has warnings that, that says you have to warn people to flee from the coming wrath. And you know what? That phrase right there, what grieves my heart is there's so many Christians I've heard that mock that kind of preaching. They call, oh, it's just, you're just preaching hellfire and brimstone. I mean, so did Jesus. So did John the Baptist. Um, it, it's it's called love. Yeah. It's called biblical preaching. That's the message that the Holy Spirit is preaching. He's, he's, he's exhorting us to believe God for the promises and persevere in faith, knowing that God's going to fulfill every promise. Jesus will return. He will reign. He will restore all things. And he will, he will reward those who were loyal to him in this age. That's good. But he also warns us to flee from the coming wrath because he will return and he will judge the wicked and, and they will be in the lake of fire forever. And so that's, it's a simple message. And um, the gospel is not complicated. It's super simple. And so that's that's my exhortation is to heed that message. Don't deny that message when you're reading the scriptures. It's all over the place. You can't avoid it unless you're trying to. But you have listen, to try. yeah. is your preaching balanced? And that's my other thing. When you're discipling people and you're preaching, are you, are you preaching like 98% of the time about the promises? And every once in a while, in passing, really fast, you mentioned the warnings. I encourage you get, have a balanced message. We need to preach both. Yep. And it it actually works. That's the, that's the practical side of it is preaching that side of the message actually drives people to a response. Um, Jesus says in in John chapter three, men love darkness and they will admit it. And then they want to repent of it if they're given the opportunity. And so we have to, we, we have to use that side of the message. And my practical application would just be, that right now the Holy Spirit, while you're watching this, might be convicting you of something. And I would just say, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that the Holy Spirit's telling you right now, obey it. Yeah. That's step step number one. Just obey it. Whether it's a, a moral thing or a money thing or a time thing, whatever it is he's asking you to do, obey it and then ask him what's next. And this is how you abide in Christ. You listen and you obey. And that's how yeah. we love Jesus. We love Jesus with our obedience. Amen. So awesome. Guys, we would love to hear if you have any questions or on anything we've talked about in Matthew 3 or anything we've said on this episode. I mean, feel free to just leave it in the comments on the video. And usually, you know, I'll get a notification that that comment is there. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to answer any questions that you have about any of this stuff. And again, I encourage you never take our word for something. Right. Look at the scriptures and see if it says what we say it's saying. And, yeah. um, and then let the Holy Spirit teach you in the scriptures. So anyway, love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we're excited to see you again on the next episode. God bless. Amen.